You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's a fine morning here in TW11. It's Tuesday, November the 22nd. And there wasn't any rain overnight, but there was a little bit of rain yesterday at Newbury, more of which later in the programme. If you're listening to yesterday's podcast, of course, that was very much a theme of it. Um, We are looking ahead to this weekend, not just domestically, but further afield as well. Later in the programme, I'll be talking about the Japan Cup. We'll also be profiling the growth and growth of the Japanese breeding industry. But on to matters on home soil at the Coral Gold Cup shortly. First of all, though, will he, won't he? Constitution Hill, does he run this weekend in the fighting fifth hurdle against his stable companion fight, um, Epatante, or does he wait until something further down the track? Discussion of that in a moment. It may well have a significant bearing on whether we get a key Irish contender in that fighting fifth hurdle at Newcastle this weekend, the first grade one of the season in the UK. Um, Pied Piper is the horse in question. His trainer is Gordon Elliott. This is what he had to say to me. Uh, I'm going to sit my hands on it for another day or two and see what's going, what's happening. Um, obviously, uh, if Nicky runs the two horses, it'll, it'll be very, very doubtful we'd run. But uh, I'd speak to the owners and see what happens. But uh, look, he's in good form and well, but uh, I wouldn't like him taking on the two of them, to be honest. I mean, if he only ran one, <laughs> does it matter which one he runs? Uh, look, two of them are obviously very good horses. Um, look, I, I'll have to speak to the owners. Um, obviously, uh, Constitution Hill is, is, is the talking horse at the moment, so uh, you'd prefer if he wasn't on it. I mean, in, in, insofar as the race is there, you know, and, and irrespective of the opposition, is it is it a race that fits him nicely? Do you quite fancy it as a as an next race in theory? It, it hasn't really been the plan, if I'm being honest. Because um, we gave him two runs, and my, my initial thought was go, to go straight to Christmas. And as I'm speaking here today, that's probably what I'm still thinking. But if it just cut up to three or four runners, you, you just you might have to be thinking about it, you know. So it, it's more more an improvisation. Is it a measure of the the form that he's in? I mean, is it a measure of the fact that you you're really happy with how he's how he's done through the early part of this year? Yeah, he's in very good form, and he's well. And, you know, it, it, anything can happen with horses in a day or two. So I said I'd leave, I'd confirm them and just leave all, all options open. Um, has he has he surprised you at all this, this autumn? Not really, to be honest. Uh, he ran a very good, very good race last year. You know, he's just behind Foban. Um, you know, he didn't do much wrong last year and he hasn't done anything wrong this year. Uh, he's a very good horse. But as you know, when you step up into that next that next um, league, it's, it's, it's a lot harder, you know. You, you've got some pretty nice entries over over the next 10 days two weeks or so um who are you most looking forward to running this week uh this week um phil lower will probably step, go jumping fences on sunday and american mike will run on sunday as well so i'm looking forward to two of them on sunday i'll be well now the american mike you know you know he's my favorite horse in your yard uh i, I thought he looked i thought he looked very good the other day yeah no he's in good form i was very happy with him and Jack says a better race will suit him better, so we're looking forward to Sunday. I'll be well. All right, and and Phil Dor, are you still pleased that you gave him that that spin over hurdles the other day? 
look, if anything, it'll have brought him on and got him fit. Um, of course, he'd love to have win one, but um, he made a mistake the second last. Not sure he'd have won anyway. The winner was good, very good. Um, but uh, we look forward to go jumping fences now. Yeah, and to be fair, you did say to me at the beginning of the season, it is chasing for him. You weren't, you, you were just just wanting to blow the cobwebs out, or were you just wanting to poke your poke your nose into the hurdling division? Oh, you'd be a boat just to see where we are. But he looks like the way he jumps. I know he made a mistake the second last. Chasing would be right up his alley. And I mean, just looking at the last couple of weeks, you're 20 winners, you're roaring away now. We're going well, yeah. We've, uh, I think we've 106 winners trained in Ireland this season and 24 or 5 in, in, in the UK. So we couldn't be happier where we are. Um, we've a lot of nice young horses coming along and it's all about the future. Yeah, you mentioned the UK. When those restrictions get released on, on being able to run some of the lesser lights in the UK again, um, would you anticipate... Um, bringing more over um, Shark Handler was talking about this to me on my show on Sunday he said owners want winners and if you can't find the opportunities you will go over even if it costs you 1500 euros well you have to make it feasible like you're not going to lose money going over I suppose that's number one so when they open them races up to the lower horses it, it leaves it a lot easier you can bring three or four or five or six on the lorry and you can split the costs either way you know it is a bit of an expense we have two horses going to Hereford on Wednesday and, you know, they'll probably just break even and, get, get, you know, it won't cost money. You know, you have to keep the cost down for the owner. But if they do open up the races, it will mean we'll be going with a lot more horses, probably for the summer or more on the winter. So I, I kind of do it more during the summer because you're guaranteed to get on the boats and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, definitely we'll be coming more. All right, Gordon. Um, just a, a final thought, picking up where we where we left off. Uh, Nicky Henderson did say on Sunday Michael Buckley didn't fancy the trip to Newcastle and there was a rail strike anyway uh, Epitant not so sleepy Tommy's Oscar it's going to be a tricky call for you that isn't it uh, it'll be a good race like Epitant is very very good around there and um, I'm sure Michael won't mind uh, if Nicky wants to go Michael, Michael will travel that was Gordon Elliott. This is David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror uh, Dave um, it doesn't sound as though it's certain that Piper will call the tune at the weekend. Very nice. Um, I think it's the, one of those uh, scenarios that Gordon Elliott outlined there, though, Nick, it, which would mean that Pied Piper definitely wouldn't go to Gosforth Park, uh, i.e. that both Constitution Hill and Epitont ran in the fighting fifth. I don't think that is going to come to pass. I think that his decision will be based, when the time comes on Thursday morning, on Epitont running in the race, but not Constitution Hill. Um, talking to Nicky Henson at the weekend, on, on Sunday, he said that um, he would give Constitution Hill an entry in the race, but Michael Buckley, the owner of Constitution Hill, doesn't really want to go to Gosforth Park. I think there's a train strike which makes uh, travel difficult. And so they were leaning towards the International at Cheltenham on December the 10th. Obviously, that's a grade two. That doesn't worry Nicky Henson. He said it's worth 170 grand. He gets a £3 penalty for running in that race, which, of course, uh, wouldn't give anyone at, at Seven Barrows sleepless nights. And he said it's a good place to start. Obviously, the Cheltenham Festival is held at Cheltenham and Constitution Hill has won there when uh, he landed the Supreme Novices hurdle by 22 lengths. So uh, that would be certainly he described it as a lovely place to start. Um, obviously, that's dependent on the ground, which we wouldn't want to uh, dry out 
as uh, it did at Ascot at the weekend. But that seems to be the plan with them. Interestingly, looking further ahead, Nicky Henson said that the Matheson hurdle at Leopardstown on December the 29th was a possibility or which I think would probably be more likely the champion hurdle trial at Haydock on the 21st of January. So the 29th of December, uh, the Matheson hurdle, that is a race that's been won four times. The last four runnings have gone to Sharjah. And so that would be an interesting one. He said there's only 19 days between Cheltenham and Leopardstown, but it, it's a possibility. So that would be quite an interesting uh, situation if that were to arise. I think this is an example of Elliot having his eyes open and realising there's a potential opportunity here. It, yeah, Epaton's a, a, a superb mare. She's a champion hurdler in, a, in her own right. She came back to something like her best last season. She's a formidable opponent for, for any, but you're not going to be terrified of coming over and taking her on, particularly if you think you can comfortably beat the rest of the field. And there could just be a, a grade one race sitting up there and and begging, and he's not one to miss an opportunity, as he was talking about with the lower-grade horses at the end of that interview. Yeah, all, all the best sports practitioners um, react to what's around them. And as you say, this is a classic case. Interesting, I mean, as you said, Epitant came back to something like her best, but uh, she was imperious when she won uh, the champion hurdle in, what, 2019 and she wasn't quite at that level for all that she was closer to it um let's look at the anti-post betting for the champion hurdle the the best price you can get about pipe piper for that race is 16 to 1 he's a low of 12s now epitont is a best priced 33 to 1 and a low of 20s so according to the bookmakers at least um pipe piper shouldn't have too much to worry about, not too much to worry about. He's he certainly taking on Epitant again. It is not something that his connection should be fearful of. Uh, he's taken a step forward in his two starts this season. The win at Cheltenham Showcase meeting in the Matheson hurdle followed uh, by the WKD hurdle. I know that's a beverage you're particularly fond of. A great two, of course, at Down Royal at the start of this month. There's going to be more to come. And, and this would be an interesting race for Pied Piper to to you know to put dip his hooves back into grade one waters uh without necessarily frightening the life out of him by coming up against constitution hill yeah fridge packed to the the rafters with boozy seltzers right is is, is elliot to mullins the nichols to henderson in terms of how they're campaigning these horses with hearing about american mike fieldor coming out pied piper all the big ones coming out from elliot mullins just keeping his powder dry similar story here or not yeah, I think very much so. When when you were introducing uh, the uh, interview with Pied Piper, I thought exactly the same thing. That that's the sort. Of, that's exactly the sort of thing uh, that you would see Paul Nichols do in in the guts of the jump season, isn't it? You think, oh right, well they're not going there. Well we'll go there. They're going to get some prize money. Sorry uh, to people who live in the West Country for that uh, appalling um, accent I've just done, but. Exactly right. You know, as I say, the the, the best they, uh, or perhaps out of necessity, perhaps um, that in terms of uh, an Irish trainers championship, Willie Mullins knows that he doesn't need to deviate from Plan A, which has worked countless times uh, in the past. But in this instance, for Paul Elliot, uh, for Paul Elliot, uh, for Gordon Elliot, it's a, a good 
opportunity for him to think right well this this it's not exactly a grade one going begging you couldn't say that that would be an insult to Epitant and the others who turn up but it's certainly a winnable one uh with a horse who's uh already shown uh certainly grade two winning form grade one placed form i remember the 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 podium efforts at Cheltenham and Aintree in the spring and also seems to have his best days ahead of him. So, yeah, there is very much a similarity there. Might just be worth having a little um, work out of the ground at Newbury first from from Clark of the Course, Keith Otterson. I began uh, earlier today by asking him just how much rain the track could take before the word good disappeared from the going description. Here's what he had to say. Um, morning, Nick. I think... I think I was hoping it was going to rain every single day, and I was also hoping it was going to rain during racing on Friday and Saturday. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case now. We're getting spells of rain, and sure, I'm grateful for that. We had 10 millimetres on Monday. Um, we're just about to turn the irrigators on just to keep that where it is now at good ground because so it didn't have a massive effect yesterday uh, because, it, of course, it stopped. It stopped in the afternoon, and then it it soaks in, it soaks it all up, and uh, it, you know, it can't get enough at the moment. So um, probably we'll just have to keep adding to it, um, and I'm, I'm not going to get ahead of myself and call it any softer than good. I mean, there's areas now which are on the easy side, but they'll come back uh, if, if, when it doesn't rain. So uh, I'll take as much rain as, as you can give me, Nick. So, so honestly, you could have, say... 10, 15 mils every day between now and Saturday, and you still don't think it would be softer than good to soft? I, I think if we had that much, if we had it day after day after day, obviously it, it, it'd begin to turn. And when, if, if, if you saw the images from the Gallops morning last week, you could see when it rains, um, because the surface is, it is good, uh, when it gets that heavy rain on it, it, it quite quickly turns softer. Um, but when it stops raining... It dries out very quickly. Are, are you then in danger of having, say, a layer of... Um, we talked about this with Johnny Burke yesterday. He said at Ascot there was a sort of layer of okay, and then once you got below a couple of inches, it was just really quite firm underneath. Are you in danger of creating a sort of false top to the ground with, with added irrigation, or is that are you not worried about that? No, I, th- I, think, I think the irrigation is, is, is maintaining the moisture through the profile rather than letting it dry out down below. And then that, that, that's exactly what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. It, it dries so quickly that underneath dries out, you know, at, at, at a rate that we're not used to. So if we irrigate each day, we're, we're maintaining the, the sort of the moisture through the profile and, and keeping the good ground. But as things stand at the moment, if you were to if you were to race today, would you still expect a reasonably warm reception from the the trainers? You don't think you'd be running into the issues that they were last weekend and the weekend before? No, I don't think so. We, like we said, we had ten minutes of rain yesterday. Uh, we watered over the weekend. Uh, we watered in the rain yesterday just to top it up. And it's just about maintaining that moisture through the surface. So today we'd have, we'd have good ground. If I walked away and left it, I'd come back tomorrow and, and then I'd be chasing myself, I'm sure. Right, Dave Yates, that was Keith Otterson. That, that does go to show you just the, just the task that these clerks have been, have been facing the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, it does. It's very easy to have a pop at Clarks of the Course, uh, those of us in the racing media, because they have to talk to us. They can't tell us just to uh, go away, as practitioners might uh, have the freedom to do. But it, it, it rained all day yesterday where I was, and I thought, well, this surely is going to do the ground a bit of good. But as Keith Austin said there, the moment that it, it stops raining, presumably the... Uh, the thirsty hippo comes out of his uh, cave again, if that's where they live. I presume they don't, and drinks the water. And you're left with it. It seeps down into the the water table, I suppose. And after a day of dry weather, you're then looking at ground that uh, you would like to soften up again. So this is very, very tricky. And I, I think as what 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 plaques of the course need is nature's version of watering isn't it they just need a certain amount of water falling every day uh, to keep it where it is or to soften it further which is of course what we all want you've got a very unusual situation where you've got you know 25 30 odd mils forecast during the week and you're still having to bung the irrigation on the track right joe tizard is a man whose family has such a close association with the coral gold cup they've been very uh well not just lucky but very skilled in winning it he's got three contenders for the race they are lost in translation will be the mount of his nephew freddie gingel uh, he's also got fiddler on the roof last year's runner-up and oscar elite who's twice been placed at the cheltenham festival we spoke with him a couple of weeks ago about the horses i asked him between then and now whether the pecking order had changed in any way no it was um it was lost in translation we we tried to run him a couple of times actually in the veterans races but the ground just went from you know he's, he's quite ground dependent now so he's you know he wants a bit of good ground which which hopefully a good good soft um he'll get a new race so so he's slightly like i'm not saying this was second plan but it was you know it was in the back of our minds but we couldn't get a prep run into him um and then with the other one fiddler and um oscar's elite you know they both had lovely prep runs um fiddler He's five pound higher than he was last year, but he's only beaten half a length and and seems in real good form. And Oscar's elite was third in an Ultima, who just tweaked his win through the summer and again had a lovely prep run and he, he's absolutely bouncing at the moment. Uh, the way you talked about him last time and this time, you it, it I get sort of get the feeling you think he might be the one on the up um, and and might be at the right point in the handicap to strike. Yeah, I just I just feel with him that. Um, that you know like Fiddler couldn't win it off five pound lower last year and so he, so I think he's got a great each way chance but Oscar's elite you know second in an Albert Bartlett third in an Ultima when he's right and on song then then I think he's uh, a, 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 like a lovely horse and although he's not he's still a novice he's, he's kind of a second season chaser I was reading a bit with one of your owners yesterday and I gather you've got Harry Cobden on standby to ride him or I guess Fiddler on the roof if if Brendan Powell jumps the other way, what's the thinking with the jockeys at the moment? I know Freddie Gingell, your your nephew's going to ride Lost in Translation and take the weight off. Yeah, Fred's going to going to ride Lost, which is you know it's a big ride for Freddie, and um, I do Fred the world of good. You know the horse, he's actually schooled the horse around a point to point course last last March. Um, you know, so he's he's ridden him plenty. So um, it's a lovely ride for Fred, and you know Lost will think he's loose. Um, I think Harry will stick to Oscar's elite. Um, you know, it's worked out that Paul's only got one for the Adrian Heskin ride. So Harry was third on Oscar's elite at Cheltenham last year, so knows him well. And um, and and Brendan's obviously ridden Fiddler for the last sort of eighteen months, and um, and he'll stick with him. And just reflections on the on the weekend. Lots of horses ran ran really well. The big breakaway only went down by a head. Eldorado Allen a fine race in the in the Betfair Chase. 
Where do you think the ideal spot for El Dorado Allen's going to be to win a race this season? Uh, I think it'll probably be something like the Denman again to actually to actually win because um, you know he's he's running blinders in these big races, but I think he's going to bump into one every time. But but doing that, he's giving Terry Warner and John Romans fantastic days out. He's won seventy thousand in prize money with two runs this season, um, and he's not far away in these in these these big big races but I think to actually get his head in front it'll, it'll possibly need to be someone like the Denman again but um, but we'll seriously consider the King George and um, you know there's nothing saying he can't go and finish in the first three or four in that Excellent um, and anything else this weekend that you're you're particularly excited about? Yeah Amarillo Sky is going to go back to Newbury he won at Cheltenham a fortnight ago um, and and the handicapper put him up four, so he'll go back to Newbury where he's won before. Um, so quite looking about looking forward to running him. Um, run a nice horse in the maiden hurdle called the Dawn that was second to Jim Coco at Newton Abbott, and Paul's horse that was second at Ascot was fourth. So that, that novice hurdle is looking quite good, and um, I'm going to run him in the first race on Friday. That was Joe Tizard, Dave Yates still with me. Uh, the, a Tizard winner is always a popular one. They've had a very close association with the sponsors and with this fixture. Dave and they remain three interesting runners if you were going to listen to that though and you, you were forced to go and have a bet there's only one horse you'd be backing isn't there yeah it's interesting that as you say that the the, uh, the stable have had success in the race in the last few years Native River of course run it uh, won it in 2016 and Sizing Tennessee two years later both of course uh, when Colin Tizard Joe's father held the license yeah it is an interesting one this I I, I think they're all um they're all viable candidates in their own way um Fiddler on the Roof uh, as Joe said is uh, five pounds higher than when second 12 months ago but he was an unlucky second 12 months ago um i remember very well he was my selection in that race and when remastered came down at the fourth last it was fiddler on the roof who was uh, the chief sufferer um I think it's fair to say that Oscar Elite is the is the one of the trio who still has pretensions to being on the way up. Uh, he returned from wind surgery for that uh, fifth behind Proskema in uh, the the Grade Two at at Weatherby at the end of last month. That's the the West Yorkshire Hurdle. But um, Freddie Gingler certainly got a very interesting ride on Lost in Translation. Yes, he's a ten year old, so uh, he's two and three years older than his compatriots, his, his stable companions here. And, and you couldn't really make a case for this horse still being on the up. But of course, uh, he really was uh, a top chaser a couple of years ago. And the, the handicapper has really shown clemency uh, towards Lost in Translation, racing off a mark of 150 now. He's dropped him £7 as a result of that unavailing effort behind Noble Yates in the Grand National at Aintree last April. So when you consider that this horse was uh, on a career high of 173, now I know that's a long time ago, that was on the back of a, of a, of a convincing victory in the Betfair chase at Haydock in November 2019, so almost exactly three years ago. Um, a mark of 173 following that, now he's 150. So... He's come down the weights an awful lot, and if he were to bring his A-game to Newbury, then he's certainly a player here. And the Freddie Gingell story is a, a real human interest one. Uh, obviously, his his mother, Kim, uh, who, who was the sister 
of Joe passed away uh, to cancer in May 2020. Uh, Freddie has he's only 16, but he's already got a raft of experience uh, riding in pony races and in points of points. Um, I, I was down in Dorset a couple of winters ago and Freddie was riding out with the likes of Tom Scudamore was definitely there, Harry Cobden too. And I said to his father, Dave, that this is just like watching a kickabout when your son is with, you know, the the Ronaldo and the likes of that. Perhaps not Ronaldo these days, but you know what I mean. Um, he, he's ridden five winners under rules so far, and he's he wouldn't be entrusted with this ride were he not up to the job. He's going to have a very successful winter, I'm sure, and this is a a, a really good ride for him in a in a, a, a signature handicap chase. Dave Yates, it will please many people that Bristol de May has won yet another valuable race at Haydock, this time by default. It won't please uh, the connections of the first past the post that day, the Haydock Grand National Trial, uh, because the galloping bear was disqualified because he had um, an amount of dantrolene in his system, which is a prohibited substance that was above the permitted threshold. Um, what has happened here and what has trainer of the galloping bear Ben Clark, who was a rookie trainer last year, of course, his biggest career success, had to say about this? Yeah, this was a landmark victory uh, for Ben Clark and uh, that seven-length success, unfortunately, from Bristol de May in the Grand National Trial uh, has now gone. As you say, dantrolene is a substance that is an orally administered paste to treat muscle stiffness and tightness. Now, the, the A sample came back positive from the galloping bear, as did the B sample. And so, uh, naturally, the galloping bear was disqualified. Um, the level of culpability towards Ben Clark, who, as you say, is a, is a uh, was a rookie trainer, has 15 horses in his yard. It was accepted uh, by the disciplinary panel of the BHA that the, the level of culpability in this case was low. The panel chair, James Omani, said it's accepted by all parties that the galloping bear will be disqualified. And our conclusion is that Mr. McNeese's arguments, that Rory McNeese representing Ben Clark, prevail when it comes to the level of culpability. This should be regarded within the low category with no knowledge of administration and reasonable precautions had been made. We don't feel a caution is sufficient as there were failings here in relation to Mr. Clark's record keeping and those justify a fine of £1,000. So it, it, the inference, I think, to be drawn from what James Omani said is that they they appeared to accept the, the trainer's explanation that he didn't know how this had got there. He said that all, all his stable now um, have their own uh, bridles uh, to in order to uh, prevent this from happening uh, in the future, they all have their own bridle and head collar to ensure we can eliminate this from happening again, uh, he said. So unfortunate, but obviously in this case, uh, the galloping bear had to be disqualified. I think he's lucky here to 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 escape without a suspended sentence that the BHA were, were appealing for, because he, you've got to at least be able to provide some measure of explanation, I think, as to as to how this banned substance has entered the horse's system, particularly if your record keeping is found to be less than 100%. Just a couple of notes on dantrolene. 
it's used for what's called exertional rhabdomyolysis, which is basically horses tying up, so muscle fatigue and horses stopping suddenly. Now, what it counters is is uh, what causes the, the tying up, which is lactic acidosis. Secondly, in 2019, the BHA changed the detection time for, for dantrolene. Uh, and made, it was became 48 hours from 96 hours. The technology had increased significantly globally, which meant that you know, if you were administering this under veterinary prescription, which is allowed, then you, you could you could probably cut it finer to the to the to the race day itself. But there was no record of veterinary prescription. The trainer doesn't know says he doesn't know how it how it got there, and they've accepted that explanation. But you know, that's just a bit of background. All right, that's us. But the big race in the world this week is the 2022 running of the Japan Cup. And we'll be previewing that uh, with Liz Price, who'll be on the ground during the course of the week for us in Japan. But first of all, to set the race up, Nahiro Goda from the Green Channel, our good friend who's provided us with so much insight on Japanese racing down the down the last few months. Uh, n- don't laugh, Nahiro, you have. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always, you know, very, very glad to talk to you, Nick. <laughs> um all right, just just let's let's give an overview. We've got a little bit of European competition in this year's race in the shape of Grand Glory and Sim Camille and Torquato Tasso's brother uh, Tunes and uh, Ernesto. Uh, can they land a blow? Do you think are they a good enough contingent to make any kind of impact? Yes, I think so. You know, they are, you know, very strong European team we are having for this year's Japan Cup. You know, especially Ernest is a winner of the Grand Prix Paris. You know, this year's Grand Prix Paris is a form is, you know, very, very good. You know, third finisher, uh, subsequently uh, finished third in the Cox Plate. And the fourth finisher is a winner of the St. Leisure. Yes, you know, and the Grand Glory. She finished fifth in Japan Cup last year. She was only five lengths behind the Contrail. Nick, there is no outstanding Japanese runner in this year's field of Japan Cup like a Contrail at Amundai. Well, I think, you know, Europeans has a, you know, fair chance to win Japan Cup this year. Okay, and you you think Ernesto's the pick of them. What about... um? What about the home team? We, we know a little bit about Shariar, who ran well in the race last year, ran well in the Tenno Show Autumn, didn't run so well at Royal Ascot, won in Dubai. Is Shariar the, the team captain for Japan? Well, uh, yes, I think so. Yes, you know, Shariar is, uh, you know, is a best hope for Japan because, Nick, unfortunately for Japanese racing fans, uh, this year's Japan team is not so exciting because all four Japanese trained horses who run in Arc de Triomphe in October in Paris, all of them skip Japan Cup yeah. and are waiting for Arima Kinen. You know, this is the year in the championship race in Japan on December 25th. And uh, another one called Equinox, winner of the Tenno Show Autumn. He's also, you know, skip, skipping the Japan Cup and goes for Arima Kinen. So, you know, and once again, there is no superstar like a Contrail, like a Armand Eye in Japan at the moment. So, you know, yes. You know, in the field of this year's Japan Cup, I think a best hope in J- for Japan is Shafriyar. Okay, it is Tuesday, which means we go around the bloodstock world with our good friends at Weatherby's, their global stallion app and their stallion book. And I'm really pleased to say that after several weeks 
of endeavouring to hook up with our friends in Japan in ahead of the Japan Cup this weekend. Uh, I can do just that uh, because we're checking in with uh, Dr. Shikegi Yusa, who's the general manager of Shizunai Stallion Station in Hokkaido, and helping us out just to translate for you. I'm really pleased also to be joined by the um, representative from the Stallion Operation and International Affairs Department in Tokyo, Kaoru Mutsuda. Uh, and Kaoru is going to translate a, a little for us. So um, thank you both for, for joining me. I I'd like to ask, first of all, um, Dr. Yusa, via Kaoru, I'd like to ask what you see as the as the philosophy of the of the JBBA, the, the Japanese Blood Horse Breeders Association, and what it's trying to achieve in global bloodstock. Well, first of all, just to just for some background information, the Japan Blood Horse Breeders Association is a national organization of all the breeders in Japan. So it's the only national organization of thoroughbred breeders in Japan, and it includes individual breeders as well as um, private breeders um, and corporations. So it's our both both our philosophy and objective to support uh, thoroughbred breeding in Japan so that it can be maintained at, um, in a healthy way and at a healthy level and also develop um, uh, progressively. That's our main goal. If you were to characterize what makes a, a, a successful and effective stallion in Japan, how would you, how would you describe him? Well, um, first of all, in terms of successful stallions, we, we would have to mention that uh, with Sunday Silence being imported into Japan, he's just uh, been so successful with his progeny and he's developed a very strong sire line um, and his, his progeny and, and progeny of progeny have been winning very uh very big races, both in Japan and internationally. So that in itself is um, a definition of success at this point in in Japanese racing and breeding. That that is a a very high bar. Are there are there specific attributes, specific characteristics in horses that you look for around the world when you are recruiting stallions to to Japan? Do they have to fulfil very particular criteria. Well, um, yes. uh, Dr. Yusa mentioned Sunday Silence because he's such a dominant part of the, of, of the pedigrees in Japan. And so um, obviously there are many broodmares now with Sunday Silence blood in the Japanese uh, broodmare population. And so in, in terms of just uh, uh, trying to uh, prevent uh, an over-concentration of the particular uh, bloodline. Um, we are trying to import uh, uh, different bloodlines that don't overlap too much with what we already have in Japan and that we, we hope w will help to improve the uh, level of uh, bloodstock in Japan. And so we we don't have a specific set of criteria that a horse absolutely has to fulfill, but we try to find the best match possible 
um, for Japanese broodmares um, at the time. At, well, at the, each time we're looking for a stallion. Um, yes, um, since diversity is all, is such a thing right now in many areas, uh, in, in many fields. But um, of course, in bloodstock too, we're, we're trying to keep that diversity within the uh, Japanese uh, bloodstock population. And you are certainly doing that with Caravaggio, who it was confirmed recently will will stand at the JBBA's studs um, next season for a fee of three of three million yen, which is just shy of of twenty thousand US dollars. What was it particularly about Caravaggio that you liked and thought would match well with the with the Japanese broodmare band? Well, there were several factors, but um, well, in Japan, like many other parts of the world, um, people always like precocious two-year-olds. Um, and so uh, Caravaggio, having been a precocious um, horse himself, um, was, was a factor and that he had lots of speed. Um, that's also something important in Japanese racing. Um, we like a lot of speed. Um, also, so um, that also made him attractive. And also his, um, the fact that he was a son of Scat Daddy, um, pedigree-wise, was also another factor. Um, we were looking for um, a, a son of Scat Daddy. So that his pedigree, his speed, and precocity um, made all made him very attractive to us you have a great variety of of stallions at the station that that you manage dr yusa uh, shizunai they're all familiar names to to our listeners as well um the 20 year old david jr eskenderea who was a a very good horse trained by todd pletcher creator the belmont stakes winner so again up in distance by Tappet, the sire of the moment, um, Bago, who we remember winning the Ark and the sire of Chronogenesis, Animal Kingdom, who could do it on any surface, Noble Mission, Declaration of War, McPhee, Mischievous Alex. We know them all well. Of the horses that you're standing at the moment, who is really flying the flag for you? Who is the horse that's most important to your stallion station? My email, but... Well, we certainly hope Caravaggio will become such a stallion for us. But uh, among the stallions uh, who already have runners for us, uh, Declaration of War is certainly um, one stallion we hope will be a uh, flag bearer for the JBBA. Um, he has his first crop racing this year, and he's already had 17 winners, including a listed listed winner. So um, we hope this will continue, um, and so, and we're very excited that um, next year he'll do he might do even better. Yeah. Japanese racing and Japanese bloodstock only only grows in prominence on the international stage. We've seen it with results across the globe in the last year. We talk a lot about how carefully and well you breed horses in Japan. We talk a lot about how well you train horses in Japan. We talk less about how you raise horses in Japan. Are there things that you do when you are raising young stock 
that you think gives you part of the advantage that you are showing on an international stage? It's a bit of a difficult question, but um, well, one thing that can be said is that um, the facilities at breeding farms have definitely been improving in recent years, and um, so they have better uh, facilities all around and better management, probably. Um, and one factor might be that, uh, well, the Japanese breeders and farms are letting young stock spend more time out outdoors out in the paddock especially during the night um, which they did not used to do in the past um and so now they have uh well but with better facilities they have larger paddocks where uh, they keep young stock um outside during throughout the night and well in hokkaido the main breeding area in the winter as you might know it gets very very cold and so that uh, people tended to sort of shy away from keeping young horses outside during the winter. But uh, re in recent years, they've been doing they've been doing more of the turning out at night, even during the winter years. So it, um, the young stock are getting more exercise, uh, getting more fit um, during their early years. Uh, probably that's that's certainly um, that certainly could be a factor. Um, that's changed within Japanese uh, within the Japanese breeding industry in recent years. We'll have our eyes on on Japan this weekend as we all tune into the the Japan Cup. Who's going to win? Japan <laughs> We think the Japanese horses have a good chance this year. Um, Shafriar, uh, one of our derby horses, uh, might be a good, have, might have a good chance, we think. I want to ask you how much satisfaction you've taken from seeing Japanese horses do so well around the world and whether you believe that to be important to the continued success of Japanese breeding. Well, yes, it's certainly been delightful that uh, Japanese horses have been indeed successful um, in international races around the world. Um, well, it's, uh, it's particularly uh, fulfilling um, that we've had this kind of success because um, over the years, Japanese breeders and horse people have been uh, putting in a lot of effort into improving the level of Japanese uh, racing and breeding um, so that they could compete on the world stage. And it seems like uh, those efforts are now paying off and with including um, such factors as the JVBA importing many stallions um, or the JVBA subsidizing the import of, uh, of broodmares into Japan, quality broodmares into Japan and also individual breeders importing quality broodmares into Japan. 
and also uh, more trainers uh, uh, participating in overseas races with their horses, with their Japanese horses. All these factors have uh, contributed to improving the level of Japanese breeding and racing, and it's also it's all um, create have creating a very good result at this time. And so we hope we, that tide can continue and uh, we, we hope we can keep that momentum with Japanese horses. And um, that we feel that's very important that we, we keep on um, progressing in the same direction. And to that end, the JVBA hopefully can uh, continue importing uh, quality stallions to contribute to the level of Japanese breeding. Oh, but well, that said, we're not completely satisfied. Never, <laughs> never, never, never satisfied. Thank you very much, Dr. Yusuf. Uh, and thank, thank you, so thank you so much, and thank you, Kira. Thank you both for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Nick. Well, my thanks to my friends at the JBBA. David Yates is still with me, looking forward, no doubt, to the Japan Cup and, of course, all the action here over the weekend and something for this afternoon, possibly. 155 at Sedgefield. Go with the top weight, number one, sabbatical, sabbatical. Um, in any case, the seven-year-old was a winner at Fakenham last time out for Evan Williams. Has a seven-pound penalty here, and I hope that doesn't stop the follow-up. 155 race at Sedgefield. Selection is number one sabbatical david thank you very much thank you very much for listening that was tuesday the 22nd of november we will see you again tomorrow bye bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary mm-hmm.